Hey everybody, welcome to RCC at Home. My name's Natasha. We're so excited to be able to provide an at-home church experience for you and for you to be able to worship online. If you're newer here and checking us out, make sure you click that subscribe button and the little bell to be notified when new videos are released here. Before we get into the service, I just have a couple of announcements for you. Starting with, you can now register for in-person services. You can find the link in the description below. And... You can now register your birth through pre-K kids to come hang out with me on Sunday morning. So if you're interested in that, the link is in the description box below. Today we're continuing our series, Parables, where we're talking about stories that Jesus told in the Bible to teach a lesson and how it can actually be transformative in our lives. Let's get to it. RCC at home. My name is Mike and I'm one of the pastors at RCC and I'd like to thank you for inviting me into your home or into your car, wherever you may be watching or listening today. It's an honor to be here with you and I want to start today with a question. How do you feel about party invites? Like when you're invited to a party, how, how do you feel about that? What, is, what does it make you feel like inside? Uh, for me, I'll just say it, it depends. Maybe it does for you too. It, it depends on the party that I'm getting invited to. So for me, um, if it's a, a Super Bowl party invite, uh, that's a, a different feeling than if it's maybe like a, a wedding invite to a wedding I really didn't want to go to, right? Those are, those are two different invites, and I, I'm sure you've probably felt similar things. And even within those invites, uh, it can be different. For example, if it's a Super Bowl party, I need to know are the Packers in the game or not? Because if the Packers are in the game, and I've made this mistake before in Packers Super Bowls, I don't really want to go to a party. For me, I'd rather just be home alone or maybe with a couple of people just focused on the game. I don't want to talk. I don't want to miss anything. I just, I love it. I want to focus on the game. If the Packers aren't in the game, though, I don't care so much about that. I'd rather be at a party because then hanging out with other people is fun and the food is fun and what matters, I don't really care who wins. Uh, what matters most to me is probably the commercials or the halftime show, at least in the past. That's what I'm more interested in. So it depends on the party for me. If, if it's a wedding, I have one question. It, who will I know there? That's what I want to know. When I, when I consider if I want to go to a wedding or not, it's awkward for me. I'm, I'm nervous walking in. If I don't really know anybody, it's weird. Like, who am I going to sit with? Who am I going to talk to? And if I don't know anyone, I'd rather not be there. If I know a bunch of people, then it's super fun. So it depends on who's at the party or what the party's all about, if I really want to go or not. And sometimes because of that, I've, I've regretted skipping a party. Have you ever regretted skipping an invitation? Uh, one for me, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the biggest one ever is, I, I was invited, I, I was out west. I, I, in addition to leading RCC, I help other churches, uh, coach other pastors around the country, help other churches get started around the country. So sometimes that's involved traveling for me. I might be gone a couple days, two, three days, somewhere in the country, helping another church. So there was this time I was out west, and I was helping this other church kind of get, get, get their act together to get started. 
and we had spent a few days, but at the beginning of it, the first couple of days, one of the gentlemen there kept inviting me um, out skiing. It was out west in the mountains. And he said, you know, come skiing on Thursday, come skiing on Thursday. And every time I was just like, I, I, don't, I don't ski. I don't really want to go skiing. That's okay. You guys go without me. You guys go without me was the conversation for a couple of days. Then finally on, on the third day, they decided not to go. And, and then the next day we, we flew home. And he said, oh, it's, it's so sad that you didn't want to come. It, it would have been such a good time to go skiing. And what I didn't realize was this was a, a really exclusive like ski club. I guess like they have golf clubs here. Uh, West, there's clubs where people go skiing and they're, they're very, very special and fancy and stuff. And he starts mentioning some of the people that are part of this club with him. And it was like some of the most famous people in America would have been there. Like, like the really big shots. And I would have been hanging out with them. And I realized I blew that whole invitation. Not, not that I'm super big and hanging out with famous people, but it sure would have been fun for an afternoon to sit around the club and, and, and meet some of these people. And it's been years and I still sort of regret skipping that invite. Well, that's what I'm teaching about today. We continue our parable series today, and it's all about a party invite. And today, we're going to be exploring what I think is the most known party invite ever. It happened a couple thousand years ago, and people still know all about this party today. So we're going to begin by me having this story read to you. Listen up. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it, so he asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married, so he said he couldn't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was angry and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come, so that the house will be full. For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. So today, we're going to dig deep into this text. In a sense, today is half RCC sermon, half Bible College 101. But hopefully, not boring, I'm going to do my best, and I'll promise there's not going to be a test at the end. And in addition to exploring this story, I do also want to give you some tools today that you can use on your own every time you read your Bible. So let's get going. The first step in a good study of a biblical text is to determine the historical context of the passage. There, there are always some details going on in history that if you look at them, if you explore them a little bit, shed some light on, the text itself becomes more significant, and you begin to paint a more accurate picture of what Jesus is teaching. For instance, here in this story, in verse 16, it begins right by Jesus mentioning a great feast. He says, a man prepared a great feast. Well, the imagery of a meal was a symbol of heaven for God's people back then. That was the standard, the tradition of the day. So that's what Jesus is really talking about here. For all the listeners at that party, they would have understood that feast equals heaven. 
Then in verses 18 and 20, or 18 to 20, we start to see that there's people responding to the invitation, and in short, we see their excuses. Well, historically speaking, in Jesus' day, you honored an invitation to a banquet. You just did. You kind of had to go. That's just how they rolled back then. And that's so much different than now, right? Like not, now it's totally different. For instance, um, uh, I'm, I'm having a Super Bowl party this weekend. Just, just the staff, just the, just the staff and their families. And, and uh, Danny, Pastor Danny, our youth pastor, um, he, he's kind of laid back. He's like, oh, maybe I'll show up. I got some other things going on in my family. I got to be here. I got to go there. I might kind of drop in for a little bit. Right? He didn't really honor the invitation at all. And, and things are just different now, right? Like, I'm not upset about it. He's got other stuff he's doing. It's no big deal. But we're just different about those things. Like, like if I talk to younger people, back in my day, when you, when you went out with someone, it was called a date. They don't even call it that anymore. Now maybe they hang out or, or they meet up. I don't really even know. I always have to ask, like, what does that mean? Is that a date? Is it not a date? Define it for me. So it's different now. So we always have to kind of get the historical part of things to understand back then how people thought, and then you can understand the lessons better. Back then, to refuse an invitation constituted an outright insult to the host. Then, if you continue in verse 21, after the first people who were invited said no, the servant is sent out to invite some more people. This, too, has historical implications. It says, it says here in Scripture that, that in verse 21, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. The invitation to follow Jesus back then was not accepted by the religious people, the leaders. It wasn't accepted in his day. It often actually met with contempt and, and generally was disregarded. But the common people... The social and moral outcasts, they accepted it eagerly. Now, I'll point out one more thing, historically speaking here. It's in verse 24, and this is really pretty harsh. Here it is. For none of those I invited first will even get the smallest taste of what I've prepared for them. Okay, historically speaking, in those times, it was customary to send a small portion of food to someone who was unable to attend a party. Today, I guess it would be compared to like sending a piece of wedding cake if you weren't, weren't there for the reception. So for Jesus to say, they wouldn't get the smallest taste of what I've prepared, that's both historically and spiritually significant. The people who heard him say that, they knew that he was really making a statement. Kind of like a no cake for you would be similar if you're a Seinfeld fan to no soup for you, right? They were just out, no soup for you. That's what he's saying. It was harsh. If you were there then, you, there would have been no misunderstanding Jesus. So, first, you get a bit of the historical context or, or what's going on in history at that time. Then, the next step in a good parable study process is to determine the biblical context. That's where you figure out like what's going on in the, in the Bible at the moment. Like right, right before, right after the story, what's happening there? And you also figure out to either who the verses are being written to, like when Paul writes letters, or who they're being spoken to, like here. This is what Jesus is doing here. Who is he speaking to? Why is he speaking to them? So we're going to take a look at that, to whom and why Jesus is speaking. The previous verses show us that we find out it's at a, after a dinner on a Sabbath day. We find out that Jesus was teaching in the home of a prominent Pharisee. So that would have been a big-time religious leader of the day. And this was some pretty radical stuff for his listeners. It was a big deal. They weren't buying it really, but one of them had a change of heart because it says in verse 15, hearing this, 
a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. You see, a light went on for this man. A light went on for him, just like it can for us today. It is an awesome privilege to realize that love for Jesus is all that's needed to be invited into God's family. Now, you may have an experience similar to this man where there was a moment in your life where kind of the light just came on and you realized, wow, I really want to follow Jesus and that changes everything. Sometimes it happens in a moment and that's beautiful. For this man it did, maybe for you it did. That wasn't that way for me. For me it happened over time. It was a little by little by little over years before I really made a decision to follow Jesus. So your story doesn't have to be just like this man's or like mine, but for all of us, it's a privilege to know that by simply following Jesus, God invites us into his family. Is beautiful. Now, sorry, back to the text. Some listeners are rejecting Jesus' invitation. And this man, he accepts it. But then, Jesus tests this man's sincerity by telling the parable. That's what's going on in the story. All this happens, and then Jesus tells the parable to sort of test this man. Would this man become an excuse giver or a real follower of Jesus? It's not answered here in Scripture. So obviously, this parable is for more than just him. It's not really a story just for him. This is a lesson for everyone else there and for us today as well. So, now, we've quickly looked into the historical context and the biblical context. We'd go even further if we had more time. But now that we've done a little bit of that, we can focus more accurately upon what Jesus is actually teaching here. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. That's step three. We need to interpret the parable's lesson. So, I guess, for a moment, let's go back to Bible College 101 right now. Here it goes. In parable analysis, vis-a-vis the analytical, observational, and situational exploration of an ancient text, interpreting a parable's lesson is predominantly accomplished by focusing your attention on the main characters. All right, I stole that from one of my seminary courses. I had a course all about just the parables, and that's kind of what a seminary class is like. That's good, but let's come back to RCC. Jesus always focused on people and relationships, not religion, not information. So we need to do the same thing here as we study his words and as we live our lives as he leads us, as followers of Jesus. We need to focus on people just like Jesus does. So there are really three main characters represented in this parable. Often, by the way, that's the case in parables. You need to watch for that now as you read them on your own. There's often three main characters. Here, the first character is actually a group of guys. Just a group of people represent one character, and they all refuse to come to the dinner. So they sort of accomplish the same thing in the party. The three as a group represent one person. And the person is anyone who rejects God's invitation. What all three excuses share is their extraordinary lameness. They are meant by Jesus to strike the hearer as ridiculous. Listen now. It's Luke 14, verses 18 to 20. It says, One said, okay, so one of the people invited, one said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it, so he asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married, so he said he couldn't come. If you really think about their excuses, the new field would still be there for inspection the next day. Is lame. That'd be like now saying, I can't come, Jesus, i got to cut my lawn. Right? The grass will be there the next day. The, the, next, the, the next excuse was they just bought some oxen and, and they wanted to work the oxen or whatever. 
they could rest for a day. That's lame too. It's like, I, I can't come, Jesus, I have too much work to do. Or finally, the, the newlyweds, while you know devotion to each other is important, they could have certainly taken a break and come to the party for a few hours. It's lame. And, and these days, that would be family, right? The, the, the newlyweds are new family. And, and sometimes we use family as an excuse when, when really we're just kind of keeping God at arm's length. What we learn here from this character group is that God is un, unimpressed by lame excuses. And all, ex, all excuses rejecting God's invitation are exceptionally lame. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the lesson he's trying to teach us then and now. The second character is the banquet giver. Can you guess who that would represent? It's, it's God. It's God. From the, from the graciousness of the banquet giver, we learn that God generously and consistently invites all kinds of people into his kingdom. And then the last character is the group of people who do come to the party. They represent anyone who hears Jesus' message and responds to it. From them, we learn that God extends his invitation to everyone. So, there's three main characters, three main lessons to be interpreted. But Jesus never wants us to stop with just interpreting. The final step in any good Bible study process is always to apply the lesson. And the final step is often what people forget. It's easy to walk away after a church service thinking about some new fact that you learned, like, well, I didn't know that rejecting the invitation was an insult back then. But that's not really what God wants, though. With God, it's never about what you know in your head. With God, it's always about your heart and what you show by your actions. So again, let's look at each major character and see how, how the lessons meant for each of them can, can not only be learned, but also applied to our lives as God would want. Let's, let's start with those who don't respond to the invitation. What can be applied? Well, first, since God doesn't dig lame excuses, don't reject his invitation. If you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus yet, don't get left out of the party. For me, um, honestly, I think I was too slow to accept my invitation. I have accepted an invitation by God to follow Jesus. I have, and I have been adopted into God's family. But as I look back on it, I wish it wouldn't have taken me so long. It took me years before I decided to really follow Jesus. And I just wish if I could turn back time, I would have made the decision sooner. Because in my life, that would have been a giant benefit. Living life as a follower of Jesus is so much different than living life apart from Jesus. I wish I would have decided sooner. I wish I would have accepted my invitation sooner. And then, second, if you've already begun a relationship, like, like the guy at the beginning of the parable that Jesus was testing, if you've begun a relationship with him, but you've been an excuse giver when it comes to doing anything about it, Jesus is saying, stop giving excuses. Let's just compare quickly right now. 2,000 years ago, the excuses were all about possessions, work, and family. Today, what are the excuses all about? Still, possessions, work, and family. So for me, I've thought about it in, in my life. After choosing to follow Jesus, that's always been the struggle, to be an excuse giver or not. Just like the guy at the party. For me, when, when I became a follower of Jesus, I had, I had just gotten a new fancy boat. And I was all excited about fishing in tournaments with this boat. 
a lot of tournaments around Sundays. There I was, a, a new follower of Jesus, all excited about growing my faith. And, and back then, there weren't online options like this. You kind of had to go to church on Sunday to learn something. And yet, oh boy, I sure did want to go to these tournaments. I sure did want to use that new boat. It was a battle. I had to figure it out. And it was a tough battle. It wasn't easy to give up something to chase Jesus. It wasn't easy. It was a struggle. It continued. It has continued all throughout my life. Even now. Even now. Um, work can be a distraction from my own personal relationship with God. And I work at a church. So you think, wow, working at a church, that's so special, whatever. It's work. Everyone does work. And, and I shouldn't just work at a church. That, that's not my personal relationship with God. That's me serving people. I also have to have my own personal relationship with God. And sometimes for me, work can distract from it, even though it's work at a church. I bet you for you sometimes work intervenes as well. And then family. Throughout my entire Christian life, family has been a thing. It's a thing you have to work out because family is so important. Shortly after I became a Christian person, my dad got really sick, really sick. And so they lived an hour and a half away, and I tried to be there as much as I could for him. But that meant being gone on weekends. That, mean, that meant running down there some weeknights. And, and it was a little bit of a battle. There wasn't time to read my Bible. There wasn't time to go to a Bible study. There wasn't time to go to church on Sunday. How much time should I spend with my dad, and how much time should I spend pursuing Jesus? And, and as, as my life progressed, it became kids' activities. There are so many amazing kids' activities. You could do it all the time. You could go every Sunday if you want. How often do you go to tournaments on Sundays? We, we had to establish um, principles in our household. How many times we could be gone on a Sunday and not be at church? It was a really big deal. You don't have to attend every Sunday activity. You also should pursue Jesus. That's just reality as a Christian person. And it's okay. It's okay to recognize reality. And it's okay to encourage each other to follow God, to follow Jesus as well, to, to battle against all those expectations of our current society. How did God know, right? How did God know that this story from 2,000 years ago would so be, still be so applicable today? God has always known because God doesn't change. The world changes, activities changes instead of oxen, it's cars, whatever it may be. But God never changes. And this lesson and our chance to respond to it is the same today as it was for the people at that dinner. It's no different now. You could have been sitting right there with Jesus at that party or you could be listening right now. God is still inviting and preparing to reward anyone who responds today. He's still inviting you, and he's preparing to reward you. Let's finish up. Did you notice that in verse 24, it talks about something that Jesus is preparing for you? Here it is, the very end of our passage. It says, For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. That prepared word is big because it shows up in other places in the Bible. For instance, right here in John 14, 2, it says, There are many rooms in my Father's home. And this is Jesus speaking. I am going to prepare a place for you. Prepare. Prepare. What can we apply from this? Well, God is preparing a place for you right now. Jesus is preparing a place for you right now. And that place is in heaven. God is inviting you right now. Jesus is inviting you right now to accept your place in God's family, to accept your place in heaven. Once and for all, you make the decision to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus all the way to God in heaven. 
once and for all, and then daily every day afterwards. You see, heaven is the promised reward for all those who accept Jesus' invitation. First, to begin a relationship with him, and then the hard work of maturing in your faith, little by little, each day, as we become, by thinking and acting, more like Jesus. Jesus is speaking to those who don't believe him yet. He is saying, don't make any more excuses. But he's also speaking to those of us who have made a promise to God to follow Jesus. He's saying to us that that promise is pretty empty, even lame, when the interests of this life demand our undivided attention and all you offer God is excuses. Now, you can change that today. Wherever you are spiritually, you can change that today. If you've never told God that, yes, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to be adopted into your family. You can say that prayer. You can say that prayer with me right now. You can be adopted into God's family right now. All you have to do is tell God that you want to be. All you have to do is tell God you want to follow Jesus. And I'm going to pray that prayer in a second. But before I do, one more thing. Maybe you prayed that prayer a long time ago. But, like myself, there's things in life that just keep coming in and, and you never know. Do I follow God? Do I, do I make an excuse? What do I do? Well, the first thing to do is actually pray about it every day. God, help me focus on you this day. God, help me keep my faith my priority today. Help me be the man you want me to be today or the woman you want me to be today. That's a prayer that you should say every day. And I'm going to lead that prayer right now as well. And if you want, you can pray it along with me. Please pray. Dear God, once again, thank you for being so clear in Scripture through the use of this parable, so clear in Scripture that simply by following your Son, by having belief in and following your Son, we're adopted by you. Now, we live a life as part of your family right now, and then God, all the way into eternity, all the way into this party that Jesus spoke of, all the way in to an eternity with you. Thank you, God, for making that so clear. For anyone praying with me right now, God, we're saying, yes. We believe you, God. We believe that you're all-powerful. We believe that you have an eternity prepared for us. And we're telling you right now we want to be adopted into your family, adopted into your eternity, simply by our belief in your Son. Please accept us. And then, Lord, for those of us who have prayed a prayer like that before, we're saying to you, Lord, please help us not be excuse makers. Don't let all these things of life continue to invade us and distract us from growing our relationship with you. Help us discern, God, what you really want. And then help us do what you really want. Help us continue to grow deeper with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 19.17 says that whoever is generous to the poor gives to the Lord. What an amazing opportunity. When you give here at RCC, you're giving to God and you're honoring him with your finances. Not only that, but 10% of everything given at RCC goes directly to supporting the mission field, both abroad and right here at home. The easiest way for you to give is to go to rccsunday.com. From here, you can set up a reoccurring gift. It can be weekly or monthly. It can be through your bank account or even your debit card. Also, feel free to drop off a check at our downtown location at 155 State Street. There's a mail slot. You can just put it right in there. You are all awesome. Have a great week, and remember, be the church.